Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. Come on, say amen like you mean it. Come on. How many of you are thankful for what Jesus has done in your life? There it is right there. Amen. Amen. Well, you're welcome to be seated. Thank you so much. And uh, I'm looking forward to what God's going to do here tonight. Um, I, I do want to acknowledge our lead pastors, senior pastors, uh, Pastor Omar and Sister Letty. They're away for a couple of days. And uh, they sent a text and they said, hey, we're getting away for a couple of days. And we're going to get away and we're going to pray. And uh, man, how many of you are so thankful that our, our pastors could understand and recognize a season of prayer uh, to get the wisdom of God, to get the vision of God, uh, so that they could continue to lead in grace and, and knowledge and understanding. And so uh, we love our senior pastors. Come on, how, much, how many of you love our pastors, Pastor Omar and Sister Letty? I do want to acknowledge them. Uh, we, we love them. My wife and I, they're just uh, dear to, to our lives and have been uh, walking with us in our lives and been a, a source of encouragement and strength and uh, uh, direction. And so uh, I, lo- I love them. Hopefully they're not watching because Pastor Omar gets kind of nervous when he's watching. He's just, you know, uh, so uh, hopefully they're just, they're just set, set aside this time uh, just to pray and connect with, uh, with friends and connect with each other. Uh, but I do appreciate our pastors. I uh, also want to uh, acknowledge um, our, uh, our pastoral team, uh, Pastor Rob and Carly, uh, uh, um, Evangelist John and, and Christina, our youth pastors, Jacob and Linda, uh, our worship pastor, Omar Lopez Jr. We appreciate, uh, we appreciate them and their friendship. And uh, I would ask you to pray for Pastor Omar Lopez Jr. He's not feeling well. And so we pray that God would just uh, uh, help him to recover quickly and that he'd get back here. But uh, thank you to uh, Nick Tijerina uh, from Reach South Bay. Uh, I don't know where he's at, but he, he stepped in. And there you are right there. Thank you, man, so much. Uh, we appreciate you and we love you. Um, but it's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight, and uh, I'm excited to, to minister what God has put on my heart uh, um, with, our, with our sermon series on wisdom. How many of you appreciated Sunday Pastor Omar's message around wisdom and uh, just, really, just really kind of uh, um, uh, just opening up uh, the, the sermon series? And tonight I'm going to continue in our sermon series uh, on wisdom. And uh, before I go there, I, I, I do want to, I, I wanted to share this. Uh, today I was um, I was fortunate to be a part of a conversation uh, with with some people that I, I have a lot of respect for, and we were talking about the church and and. Uh, um, we were talking about the church kind of globally and, and, and the impact on the church. But as we were talking about the church and the functionality of the church and really the, uh, um, uh, the, 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 um, the power of the local church, I was overwhelmed with such a, uh, just, just such a renewed uh, understanding, appreciation, gratitude uh, for the local church. And I say all of that to say uh, for each and every one of us, let's not, let, let's not ever uh, lose uh, the, the awe and the, the beauty of the local church. I mean, just think about, just take a moment, and just think about where would you be without the local church? 
Where would you be without the local church? My goodness. Where would your marriage be? Where would your family be? And so uh, I, in, in this conversation, I, I was just, uh, again, I was just overwhelmed with that, uh, with that realization. And uh, it's very easy uh, to, to get into the motions and the, and the mechanics of, of ministry or even life where we start to devalue uh, the power of the local church and what God is really doing. Uh, and I think about here at, 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 uh, at Reach Paramount, what God is doing here. Uh, in, in, uh, in this community of believers and, and our leaders and, and different folks uh, that I'm, I'm even just looking across this room and it's really special uh, to be a part. So don't ever lose sight of, of the power and the significance of the local church. Uh, I love this church. Uh, uh, I found my wife in this church. Uh, thank, thank you, Jesus. Uh, uh, I, I, was, uh, I, I was saved in this church. And uh, um, I, I just love it so much. And, and uh, many of you have been such a blessing to my family and I. And uh, I was just, you know, again, just overwhelmed with that thought. And I wanted to thank everyone, those of you that reach out pray and praying, sharing texts, uh, and those that have walked with us through dark, dark times in our lives that have rallied around us. And so I'm just so grateful for this church as well. Why don't you give yourselves a big hand? Come on. Well, let's get into this. Let's get into this message uh, in regards to wisdom. And uh, how many of us would agree that we all need wisdom in our lives? Yes, I mean we all need wisdom in our lives, and so uh, if if we look at the evolution of technology and uh, and and this constant search for more information, um, uh, I I want to make sure that we understand that information and knowledge does not equal wisdom. It doesn't equal wisdom. You could have as much information as you could possibly intake, uh, uh, and you could seek knowledge all the time, but that in itself uh, does not equal wisdom. Pastor Omar said on Sunday, he said that education isn't wisdom. In fact, there's a lot of educated fools out there. How many of you know them? Uh, you don't have to raise your hand, but you know them out there, right? They, they got, you know, uh, 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 double masters and all this other, you know, all these other uh, uh, um, acronyms behind their, their, their title, uh, but they just lack wisdom. And so uh, uh, Pastor Omar used this, this, uh, th- this theme scripture for our sermon series about Solomon. And I'll ask you this question for you to reflect if you had a chance to ask God for anything what would it be now many of us I mean we're, we're going to say the right thing because we're in church but many of us there, there's a, there's a maybe a laundry list of things that you would ask for uh, if you had that opportunity to ask God for anything but this is uh, this is what Solomon asked for in first Kings chapter 3 verses 10 through 14 it says that the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies. How many of us, come on, be honest. How many of you would, would, uh, maybe there's someone out there that has has done something to you. Maybe you you might uh, ask for a little bit of vengeance there. But uh, Solomon didn't do that. He said, uh, because you haven't done those things, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has, has had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father, did, uh, as your father David did, I will give you a long life. And so Solomon didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for, uh, uh, for fame. He didn't ask for comfort. 
He didn't ask for pleasure. He didn't ask for revenge against his enemies, those that did him wrong. He didn't ask for any of that. He asked for wisdom. And I think that uh, each and every one of us uh, every day that if we could just, before we even get out of bed, is just ask God, God, give me wisdom for the day. I think that's a worthy prayer uh, for us. God, help me to govern this day in your wisdom. Help me, God, to, to be guided by your wisdom. And so God was so impressed by Solomon's request for wisdom that he didn't only give him wisdom in which he asked for, but he gave him all these other things, his wealth and, and the fame and, uh, and, and, and all of that came with it. And so knowledge and wisdom are related, but they're two very distinct concepts. And so knowledge refers uh, to the understanding of facts, information, uh, and skills gained through education, experience, and research. And so it's a collection of information that could be acquired and shared through reading, studying, and training. I had these, the, I found this, these statistics, and stay with me here, uh, fascinating technology growth statistics, okay? So uh, listen to this. The number of smart devices collecting, analyzing, and sharedating should hit 50 billion with a B by 2030, the global internet penetration rate, so this means how many people are actually using the internet, last year in 2022 was around 63% of the population. Okay, so there's about 8 billion people uh, on planet Earth, and 63% of them are actively using the internet. Uh, the computing and processing capacity of computers hits double figures every 18 months. And anybody that's in the technology space understands that about 18 months, uh, your technology is outdated, right? Uh, many of us are on those cell phone upgrade plans. And uh, man, the moment that you get that new one, the next one's coming out and you feel like you got robbed. And so uh, uh, another, uh, another statistic here is that uh, 5 billion people use the internet. So again, about 8 billion people uh, on, on planet Earth, 5 billion of them are using the internet. And I thought this was, this was really, really interesting, is that uh, users query Google about 8.5 billion times a day. So 8.5 billion times a day, we are searching something on Google. Now, what is the point of all this? My point is that information is, limit, is limitless and accessible everywhere. So in, an age, so in an age or a generation where information is accessible anywhere, why are we so crazy? It's almost foolish when you look around and you hear the debates and you hear the arguments and you hear the positions that people take. It's silly. So wisdom, on the other hand, refers to the ability to apply the knowledge in a way that shows good judgment. It shows insight. Uh, it shows understanding. It's the ability to use the knowledge to make good decisions and to understand the deeper meaning of things and to see the bigger picture. So knowledge is the accumulation of information, while wisdom is the ability to use the knowledge to make sound judgments and decisions. So knowledge is necessary for wisdom, but wisdom goes beyond mere knowledge to incorporate a broader pers uh, perspective on life and the ability to apply that knowledge in a, practic in a practical and meaningful way. 
I love what Pastor Omar says as it relates to this, and really it's about personification. And if you go back to uh, a couple of months ago, we had a sermon series called We Are Reach. And uh, we walked through all of our values, and I would encourage you to go back and maybe listen to them. I think that would be good for each and every one of us. But specifically, uh, Pastor Omar preached uh, a message on grace and truth. How many of you remember that message? Powerful message. Uh, And I I would encourage you, again, to go back and and listen to that. But Pastor Omar shares this example in, in, in that message on grace and truth about Jesus as a personification of wisdom. And this is what he says. He says that if you're sick and someone gave you a medical book, you would say, I don't need the book. I need a doctor, one who personifies the wisdom and knowledge in that book. If you're in legal trouble, anybody ever been in legal trouble? You don't have to answer that. But if you're in legal trouble, maybe you might be right now. Okay, if you're in legal trouble and someone gives you a law book, you would say, I don't need the law book. I need a lawyer, one who personifies the wisdom that's in that, uh, in, the, in the knowledge that's in that book. And so the same could be said, and the same is true about Christ, that Jesus personifies wisdom. And so if you're looking for wisdom, if you're looking for a model of wisdom, we look no further than Jesus Christ. He is personifying wisdom and godly wisdom and uh, in, in his life. And so here's this learning theory. Pastor Omar talked about this a little bit, and I wanted to give a visual aid. Can you put uh, the, the picture up there of the learning pyramid? Is it up there? Oh, man, you guys got a good picture. Oh, okay. It's a little grainy, that, but that's okay. So uh, this is called Dale's Cone of Learning, okay? And I'm going to teach a little bit here. So in the 60s, uh, this man, Edgar Dale, theorized that learners retain more information by what they do opposed to what is heard, read, or observed. So Pastor Omar said last week that there's a very small percentage of retention as I'm sitting here, we'll call this a lecture, okay? As I'm sitting here lecturing, there's a very small percentage of retention. Now, those of you, I see some of you that have the notebook out and writing, there's a higher percentage of retention there, but even at even with that, uh, you're going to retain very, very little of it, okay? So his research led to the development of this cone experience, and today, this, learn, uh, this learning by doing has become known as action learning. So I'll just let you kind of take that in. And as you're taking that in, I, I, I want to explain something to you. Maybe just kind of uh, uh, pay attention to the lowest, uh, the lowest rung here on the pyramid, and that's teaching others. And as I was looking at this, I was thinking, you know, we come, and I was talking to the pastors uh, before we walked out here, and uh, we come in and out of, of, uh, of, of church. Uh, twice uh, a week on Wednesdays and Sundays. Uh, then we have small group on Fridays where we're talking about this stuff. And then we have Reach Bible Institute on Tuesdays where uh, where, where you're you're just being educated and uh, uh, and counseled and taught the Word of God. Uh, but through all of that, the only way really to retain the wisdom in which God is giving you through the Holy Spirit is by teaching others. And so we take that, we take those lessons, we take all of this stuff, and then we go and apply that. We call that discipleship. So, so this is my question. You could just leave that up there just for a couple more minutes, and thank you uh, for that. But th- this is my question to you, is who are you teaching? 
Are you coming every single service in and out? Nothing is changing in your life. You're just going back. It's kind of the same cycle. Uh, you heard a good message. You were moved at the altar. But nothing changes when you go out. Now, here's something very, very practical. Take what we're talking about even tonight and just teach that to someone else. If you would just do that, just immediately, just go and find someone that will listen to you. Even if they won't listen to you, all right? Just say it anyways. Just repeat it anyways. And it says that up to 90% retention if we were just to take that and apply it in a certain way. So go ahead. You could take that down. So this is what, this is what uh, Edgar Dale says, that uh, we remember 10% of what we read, 20% of what we hear, 30% of what we see, 50% of what we see and hear, 70% of what we discuss with others. This is why we do this on, on Friday nights with our connect groups, is we're discussing all these things that we've talked about on Sunday. 80% of what we personally experience, I believe really this is where wisdom uh, uh, should come in, okay? Uh, we're not repeating cycles, but we're taking uh, uh, what we don't learn by instruction. We learn through experience. Pastor Omar said that on Sunday. And so we're taking these experiences that we have in our lives, and we're applying that experience and say, okay, I'm not going to do that again. Because that didn't work out that well, I'm going to do something different. So 80% of personal experiences and 95% of what we teach others. And so th this is my encouragement to, to each and every one of us tonight, is that we would find someone to be able to invest in. You'd find somebody that, uh, that is walking with you and say, hey, I, 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 uh, I, I, I want to walk, I wanna walk si side by side with you. I want to invest in you. I want to I teach. And if you're not doing that, uh, I would encourage you to find someone to do that with today and, uh, and, and really allow this wisdom to kind of ruminate in our lives and see that applied and see what God does through that. Can I get anybody's, anybody's commitment to that tonight? That uh, I'm going to take what we're talking about here. I'm going to apply it not only to my life, but I'm going to find someone that I could invest in and teach this to other people. I found this story about wisdom. This might be a little cheesy, uh, but it's okay. Uh, just stay with me. Uh, once there was a wise old man who lived in a village. Everyone in the village respected him and came to him for advice. One day a young man approached the old man and asked, what is the secret to your wisdom? The old man replied, come with me and I'll show you. The old man took the young man to a nearby lake and asked him to follow him into the water. Once they were waist deep in the water, the old man suddenly grabbed the young man's head and pushed it underwater. The young man struggled to break free, but the old man held him down. And just when the young man, the young man thought he was going to drown, the, the old man let, the, let go and pulled him back up to the surface. Gasping for air, the young man asked the old man, why did you do that? What was the lesson there? Uh, the old man replied, when you were underwater, what did you want more than anything else? The young man replied, air, I wanted to breathe, of course. And the old man nodded and said, that is the secret to wisdom. When you want knowledge and understanding as much as you, want, you wanted that air, you will be truly wise. And I, I thought about this. I thought about how many of us, you know, the thought of being wise or the thought of living your life according to biblical truth sounds good, but how desperate are you really for it? I mean, are you desperate enough to show up on a, on a Wednesday? Obviously you are, but 
Are you desperate enough to show up on a Tuesday for Reach Bible Institute? Are you desperate to show up for prayer meeting? Are you de how desperate are you to really gain the knowledge and the wisdom that God has for you? And I, I believe that at a certain level, uh, we should have a hunger, a desire. We could call it a desperation, whatever it is. Uh, but we should be seeking God uh, every single day, uh, just like we're seeking breath from moment to moment. And so... I want to look at the story of Job, and, and the Bible is full of stories of individuals that demonstrated wisdom. We talked about Solomon last, last week or on Sunday, and uh, he's often cited as the epitome of wisdom. Uh, but today we're, I, I want us to look at Job, who also displayed exceptional wisdom uh, in the face of tremendous adversity. Now, I, have, I do not have the time to go through the entire story, so it's going to be a survey. But uh, this is the summary that Job uh, is, is a narrative in the Old Testament Bible, in, in the Old Testament book. And it tells of the story of a man uh, who was righteous and wealthy living in the land of Uz. And Satan challenged Job's faithfulness to God and claimed that, jo that Job only served God because he was blessed with prosperity. And so God allowed Satan to, uh, um, to test Job's faith by taking away his wealth. And it's, it's just devastating what Job goes through. And, uh, uh, and, and despite all of those trials and all of that uh, disparity that he faces, uh, he, he remained faithful and refused to curse God. I wonder how many of us have gotten put in a tough spot and quickly abandoned God. I mean, how much does it take, really, for you to turn your back on God? And so here's this man going through all this suffering, uh, uh, stays, remains faithful to God, and in the end of the story, God restores Job's uh, uh, fortunes. He, he blesses him with even greater prosperity uh, than before. But the story of Job teaches us the importance of remaining faithful to God, even in the midst of suffering, and the importance of trusting in God's sovereignty and his wisdom. So this is the first thing that I want us to learn about Job, is that Job had confidence in God's sovereignty. So you can write that down. Job had confidence in God's sovereignty. So Job 1, uh, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 through 22, after losing his family, his possessions, his health, Job fell to the ground and worshiped. So listen, he was, uh, his, his family was killed, all of his riches, he was a very wealthy man, everything was taken from him, and then he was stricken with boils all over his body. So his health uh, came under attack. And after all of that, Job fell to the ground and worshipped, saying, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so in this, this is Job revealing his deep confidence in God, and his deep confidence in, in God's sovereignty. I think about in my life when when tragedy has struck my life and I, uh, I wish that I could tell you that I was uh, steadfast and faithful like Job. Uh, when, when tragedy struck my life, I was concerned. I was worried. I was broken. And, 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 and what I've learned through that, through experience, is that God is sovereign. I was thinking about this today uh, as I was preparing and praying. I was thinking about uh, how many of us are thankful for the prayers that God did not answer. I'll say that again. How many of us are thankful for the prayers that God didn't answer? 
Like, think about that. Just, just roll it back 10 years. What were you praying for? My God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for, thank you for uh, aborting that mission and, and, and sending me on a different way. And so this is, this is what we're talking about is in having confidence in the sovereignty of God is that God knows better than I do. And I, I try to work things out. I think I know best. I'm, I'm, trying, to, uh, I'm trying to do different things to, to make it all work out. And really, just like Job here, uh, all, all hell is breaking loose in Job's life. And uh, I, I'm sure the human side of him was concerned. But his conclusion was his confidence in God's sovereignty that, God, I know that you're working it all out. And until that comes to fruition, until that manifests, I'm just going to stand here and praise you. And so my encouragement to us tonight is that maybe you're in a situation that seems like all hell is breaking loose in your life. Maybe it seems like it's almost insurmountable or, or, or impossible to overcome whatever it is that you're facing. I, I, I want to encourage you through this story of Job that we would stay steadfast in our faithfulness to God. And that we would, we would, uh, we would be able to stand with Job uh, and, and tell God, you know, God, I, I, I just trust you. We, we sang about it tonight. Even though I don't see it, I know that you're moving, right? I, it, it may not look that way, but I have trust and I have confidence in God's sovereignty. Uh, Romans 8, uh, uh, Paul says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So what we're not saying is that God causes these troubles or that God caused this trouble to Job, but we understand that God uh, is working all of these things out in our lives for his greater good. How many of us could reflect on what God has done in your life? Reflect five years, 10 years, 20 years, whatever it is. And in that moment of uncertainty, of that moment of, of calamity and, and tragedy and, and all those things, you just thought like there is no way out. And now in retrospect, now we're standing on the other side of obedience or faithfulness and we're seeing, my goodness, there is no other way that could have worked out other than God doing what God has, has done. And this is what I'm talking about in this confidence in God's sovereignty as we walk with God and we have these experiences where we're able to trust God that when things come up in our lives, we say, my goodness, God, you were good back then and I know that you're going to be good now. I'm just going to continue to trust you. Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, say all things, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We're talking about the sovereignty of God. Revelations 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And so I want us to just understand that, just maybe take a moment and, and pause and reflect on that, that it's by God's will and it's for his pleasure that we're created. And nothing gives God more pleasure than faith and confidence and standing steadfast when things are falling apart and saying, God, I'm going to trust you anyways. And so 
The second thing that I believe that we can learn from Job is that Job had uncompromised character. Job had uncompromised character. In Job 2, verses 9 and 10, when Job's wife urged him to curse God and die, Job responded like this. He said, Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? Now listen to this statement. Everyone has turned, turned their back against him. His friends have left him, and now his family is coming against him. Anybody ever had that experience? And besides all of that, or with all of that, Job is uncompromised in his character. A question for you is, what does it take for you to compromise your character? So in a world where compromise and moral relativism are increasingly the normal, uh, we can learn that uh, jo or Job's unwavering commitment to his beliefs really stabilized his faith in, in, uh, in his situation. And so there's three examples of, of areas in our lives as Christians that we could compromise. The first one is moral relativism. Now that's a fancy word for compromising what we believe to be true in the biblical, uh, according to our biblical worldview. Now, what does that mean exactly? So in modern culture, the idea of this moral rel relativism, uh, relativism is prevalent and it suggests that there are no objective moral truths or better, better way to say it is that there is no absolute truth. Really, this is what we start hearing when we, when, when we hear people say, well, I feel this way, or I feel that way, or I think that this is the tolerant thing to do, or the nice thing to do. And opposed to us standing on moral, absolute truth, biblical living, we start to contort that or we start to massage that to make it fit within our modern culture. And so this can lead all of us to compromising our beliefs by accepting and even promoting behaviors uh, and lifestyles that are contrary to biblical li living. One of them is sexual imm uh, immorality. Well, I, you know, love is love or, uh, or, or, you know, God wants me to be happy. Pastor, I love it. He says, God, God is not interested in your happiness. God is interested in your holiness. And so, so fornication is wrong. And how is that defined? That is sex outside of marriage. Marriage is defined by one man and one woman. It, it, that's, an, that's an absolute truth. All right? That's not my thought. That's not my opinion. That's the, that's the word of God. Another compromise that is rampant amongst Christians, and it's detestable, quite honestly, is the advocation for abortion, which is murder. And so this moral relativism, this is, it's, it's, 
it's crazy when you think about this. I remember uh, Pastor Ron Simpkins, he, he was sharing about uh, uh, in ancient days and, and these philosophers that would sit around and just kind of reflect on, uh, on the universe and reflect on uh, really natural law, uh, which is ultimately God's law. But anyways, they would reflect on this and they began to get really high and mighty in their own, in their own thinking. And, and, and their stories even of people sitting around philosophizing with each other and they would, they would gaze into the heavens or they would gaze into, uh, uh, into, the, into the universe. And, and, and their stories of, of men that would stare at the sun until their eyes were blind looking for illumination or enlightenment. And how, do, how many of us know that it's just foolishness uh, that, that, that man could think uh, so highly of themselves to be able to try to, uh, uh, to, try to understand or comprehend uh, a, a sovereign, powerful God? And so the first way we compromise is moral relativism. There is no absolute truth. We're just going to go with what our heart feels, and uh, that's, that, that's, that's a lie. The second thing is consumerism. And really all that is is a chase or a pursuit of material wealth or things. Honestly, we sell out not even for riches. We sell out for, like, below, uh, like, like middle income. Like, we sell out. We'll sell out for it. I might, I, I might be able to understand if we really sold out for, like, you know, real wealth, but many of us sell out for, like, middle, middle class or middle income. And so this consumerism isn't really a, a pursuit for riches. It's just a pursuit for selfishness. And we just want... We, we just want to promote ourselves. We want to love ourselves and not love others. We, we just want what we want. And there's this lie around consumerism that allows us or, or, or makes us start to compromise our character. The third thing that Christians could find themselves in compromise is political partisan, uh, partisanship. Now, what does that mean? That's aligning with a political party. I'm, gonna get, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm coming for you, okay? I'm coming for you. Okay, are you Christian? I, I love it. I, I, Pastor Omar sent me this, and this is really good. It's not my thing. It's, it's, it's a quote that I'm going to share, and I'm going to read it because I thought this was awesome. As it relates to Christians... The quote is by, uh, by a man uh, named Nurup Alphonse, and he's a lead pastor of a church in Denver. And he says this, If you're looking to be in service of King Jesus and his kingdom, it means that there can be no adjective before the word Christian in your life. You cannot be a conservative Christian, a liberal Christian, a progressive Christian, a gay Christian, a straight Christian, a black Christian, or a white Christian. And why is that? It's because the adjective informs a noun, which means whatever the adjective is, it informs the agenda. Listen to this. It informs the agenda and the allegiance and the faithfulness of the noun. So what does that mean? So if you say that you're a gay Christian, you are primarily for the gay agenda. If you say you're a conservative Christian, it means that you are primarily, primarily for the conservative agenda. Uh, the problem is that we'll take scriptures and contort them so much to the point where they are unrecognizable to make the scriptures justify the actual life that you want to live because your highest allegiance is to yourself. 
It's self-righteousness. So this is, this, is, this is my comment to that, is that there is no such thing of a conservative Christian, a gay Christian, a straight Christian, any of that. You're either a Christian or you're a fraud. I feel that resistance from those that are aligning politically. It's the Bible, guys. The last thing is that, the last thing that we can learn from Job is that we are to concede our limited understanding. We are to concede our limited understanding. Now, what does that mean exactly? It means that uh, at one point we thought we were right. How many of us, you know, uh, BC before Christ, uh, you thought you had it all together. You thought you, you, you had all, uh, you, you had it going on. Anybody? Uh, am I the only one? My goodness. Uh, but, you know, we thought we had it all figured out, right? And, and, and Job, I think at a certain point, I mean, he was wealthy. Uh, he had it going on. And I think at a certain point in his life, he was feeling pretty good about himself, and uh, uh, really what we learn from Job's story is that Job conceded. He admitted the fact that he thought he was right, but he was wrong. And he's now going to defer to a wisdom or a knowledge or an entity that's of higher understanding and higher knowledge than him. And so we need to concede our limited understanding as human beings. Job 38, 1 through 3, after Job questioned God's justice in allowing him to suffer. How many of us found ourselves in the same place Job did? That, God, why is this happening to me? I don't deserve this, God. I'm doing all the right things. I'm showing up to church. I'm giving my money. I'm showing up to connect group. I'm showing up for, to, prayer, to prayer meeting. Why haven't you fixed my life? I know nobody, I know nobody has, has prayed that in this room. And so here's Job. We could find comfort in Job that there's at least one more person like us out there. And so Job is questioning God and his, just, and his justice. And how can he allow him to suffer this way? And God responds to Job in this powerful way uh, through a series of rhetorical questions. Now, rhetorical questions uh, needs no response. It, it, you know, it's kind of like an answer in the form of a question, right? So here are the questions that, Jesus, or that God proposes to Job when Job is questioning his wisdom. First one. God asked Job in chapter 38, verse 4, where were you when I laid the foundations of earth? 38, 12, have you ever in your days commanded the morning light? 38, verse 19, where does light live or where does darkness reside? Verse 38, or chapter 38, verse 32, can you lead out a constellation and it's season. And so here's these series of rhetorical questions where Jesus or God is challenging Job and saying, Job, since you got it all figured out, since you know best, answer these questions. Where were you when I was speaking things into existence? And here's God just pointing to Job and saying, You are so limited in your understanding. You're so limited in your understanding. You're so foolish, you can't even get out of your own way. And so Job ultimately recognized he saw this, and he humbled himself, and he said, 
this in response to all of that. I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. And here's Job's humility in acknowledging the fact that he doesn't have it all put together, that he doesn't know it all. And it's in that humility, it's in that repentance that God begins to move in his life. And Job's humility before God reminds us that true wisdom involves recognizing our own limitations. Look, we are just human beings. We are nothing but dust. Our life is but a vapor. And recognizing our own limitations and seeking guidance to God in all things. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.